Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 15, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, A Hero's Proof. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime, so you've been warned. And just to give everyone a fair warning, our voices sound a little bit off today because we are trying to recover from losing our voices from over the weekend, so... Don't worry, Wamo didn't jam his finger into our throats or anything, (laughs) but bear with us. Hopefully, we still sound okay on all of your guys' ends. Yes, hopefully it's not distracting. We're still going to have a great conversation about Jojo, um, and hopefully we can still use our hamon. Wow. (laughs) And one more quick thing as a reminder. Um, We shared in the previous Strictly Jojo episode that we've changed our format a bit to include spoilers for anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. Again, we we realize that the majority of our listeners have probably seen most, if not all, of Jojo. Um, So this kind of, this change allows us to have more in-depth and free-flowing analysis and conversations about the anime. We can talk more openly about Jojo lore as a whole. Again, within the context of the anime, we won't share anything that we know about the manga because, um, again, we're we're anime-only people. But I uh, just wanted to share that reminder as it is something that uh, you'll see in this episode moving forward. Spoilers beware. <laughs> and before we get into things, we want to give a huge shout-out to our listener, James C., who reached out to us to answer one of the burning questions that we had about Phantom Blood. If you recall, in Part 1, Episode 9, Carl and I could not figure out who the two seemingly random guys were um, that were with Speedwagon, Poco, and, and the gang as they bid farewell to Erina and Jonathan, who are heading to America for their honeymoon. So James reached out and blew our minds with this piece of info when he told us that those two randos are actually Speedwagon sidekicks who attacked Jonathan on Ogre Street in Episode 3 when he's investigating the poison that Dio gave his father. I had no fucking idea. (laughs) Yeah, that blew my mind as well. Not sure if these two guys make another formal appearance like in the manga or anything, but it's cool that David Productions added at least a cameo, you know, from the anime point of view at the end of part one. And it's kind of nice to know that they still hang out with Best Waifu Speedwagon. Yeah, it's odd because, you know, they were all his old cronies and I'm sure... They were part of like the criminal element, but you know, my head canon hopes that maybe they had a change of heart after seeing Jonathan's nobility, just as Speedwife, who had a change of heart um, <laughs> after that moment. So, but yeah, Pro, uh, kudos to you, James, for doing your Hamon homework. For us. <laughs> yes, thank you, James, for reaching out and answering that question. We really appreciate it. And to our other listeners, if anyone's interested in reaching out, you can connect with us on our website via the contact page at thestrictlyseries.com slash contact, or send us a message on Instagram at thestrictlyseries or on Twitter at strictlyseries. We hope to hear from you guys. And so we move on to our discussion about part two, episode six, A Hero's Proof. So for me, I've used this phrase before to describe these episodes. This felt like another one of those, quote unquote, transitional episodes. Again, not filler because it's not any sort of throwaway plot but transitional because i feel like you know as much as we get significant amounts of action in this episode there isn't really much that happens that we don't already know i guess but there's one key thing but like for the most part like we get it by this point the pillar men are just op as fuck and we (laughs) see that 
time and again in the previous episodes, and we just see that reaffirmed here. And as I called it, Caesar's bubble powers are complete ass <laughs> against um, Wamu in their in the initial fight in this episode. But I guess apart from all those quote-unquote transitional moments, it is an episode that does seal Joseph's fate in this fight almost literally um, with his challenge to Wamu at the end of the episode. Because that just signifies that for him, there's no turning back now. And it just goes in line with the whole Joestar destiny sealed with the stone masks, or I guess now with these pillarmen. But what did you think about this episode? Well, before I answer your question, I have a question for you. This is like, I, I wouldn't, I don't totally agree that it's like a somewhat filler or like transitional episode i think it's more of like a part two of the fight that was started in the last episode um it's kind of rounding out this whole scene between caesar joseph speedwagon and the pillarmen so my question to you is do you feel like these two episodes should have been condensed into one episode because i felt like last episode was the introduction to caesar and the pillarmen and then this episode is the continuation of that but it just establishes the Pillarmen more than what we got from the previous episode. I mean, I, I can see it as, as a part two. I think just what irks me about it is we've seen these things established in previous episodes, besides introducing Caesar and introducing the Pillarmen. Um, and maybe it's, it's just the way that uh, David Production had to accommodate for the writing in the manga. Um, but if there was any way it could just have condensed all of that so we can just move on with knowing like in the very next episode is when Joseph begins his formal Hamon training. Um, I think it would sit a little bit better with me, but again, I understand like it, it, this is just how the story has to play out, um, to, to split this up into two parts basically yeah like i could see it being all one episode if we got caesar's introduction a little bit earlier um because we spent half of the previous episode learning about caesar um so i think that if they shifted things over they could do an entire episode dedicated to the introduction and the first fight against the Pillarmen. but I, i'm not bothered by having kind of a, a follow-up episode to this and i think that while you know the fight itself is it can sometimes feel a bit on the the lengthy side i think it establishes two important things um for joseph's story one is that like he is severely undertrained. i mean you've got caesar who has way more experience in hamon than he does and caesar gets like you know his ass beat and his face all cut up and shit but then the other thing it establishes is that um well, I guess three things. Let me, let me add one more thing. So the second thing it establishes is the start of um, Caesar and Joseph's real relationship taking effect because they kind of, um, they don't fight together in this episode, but Caesar goes from thinking that Joseph knows nothing and that he's a coward and is trying to run away to like suddenly having respect for him and realizing the type of person that he is. And that's important. That's what triggers you know, the rest of that relationship building that we'll see in these next several episodes. And then the third thing is, um, I think, establishing basically like the the timetable that we have here for the rest of the show because the wedding rings of death give Joseph 33 days to, you know, fulfill his goal of defeating Wamu and defeating ACDC in order to 
I don't know, protect the world, you know, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. There's obviously more that happens after that point. Um, but this establishes the timetable and kind of what one of the ultimate goals is of part two. So I think that there's um, there could have been other ways to go around sharing that information with us as the viewers. But I, I don't mind the way that it was done. And overall, I thought the episode was, was a lot of fun. And one more quick thing before we go into the summary and our analysis. I think the, the one thing that was just really funny about this episode, too, is that a majority of this happens... Like while the pillar men are just walking up the staircase. Yeah. <laughs> like I think the first ten minutes pass by and uh I think cars and A C D C are just watching, but like a lot of this fight the two fights just happen as they're they're sauntering. And <laughs> I don't know, the the timing of that was just kinda odd. Um, that's probably why cars and acdc are like all right well we're leaving mama you can deal with this we've been trying for like the last half hour to walk up these stairs and we haven't quite made it to the exit yet you you can deal with this we're gonna go yeah so maybe that also is a credit to why part of this episode for me just feels like a slow burn but i digress so let's go ahead and jump right into the summary for part two episode six a hero's proof Shiza instigates Wamu by stepping on his shadow and uses Bubble Beam on the Pillarman, but it's not very effective. Wamu Bubble Beam. <laughs> Pokemon reference there. Wamu counters by slashing his Bubble Buddies with his headdress and temporarily blinds one of Shiza's eyes in the process. Before Wamu can join Cars and ACDC's extremely slow saunter to the surface, however, Joseph tags in to get a shot in. Wamu slits his Jojo opponent's wrist to keep the battle under one minute, but Josephu makes efficient use of his time with some well-placed attacks from his clacker boomerang, which gravely scars Wamu's face. The pompous pillarman is most impressed, but counters with a divine Darude sandstorm that leaves Joseph clinging to life. Fear not, however, for our homo hero musters enough strength to draw Wamu away in a minecart to allow Shiza and Speedwaifu to take shelter. Wamu prepares to end Josephu's life, but not before the latter challenges the pillarman's manhood by betting he could still beat up Wamu with an a month's worth of training. Wamu accepts the challenge, but sweetens the deal by implanting a poisonous wedding ring around Josephu's aorta that will kill him in 33 days' time unless he defeats Wamu and obtains the antidote from his lip ring, because that's not unsanitary at all. ACDC joins in on the fun by putting together, putting another poisonous ring around Josephu's windpipe, the antidote to which is in his nose ring, because that's also not unsanitary at all. As the three G-stringed Goliaths finally quit sauntering and set off to find the redstone of Aja, Shiza cradles an exhausted Josephu in his bubble-blowing arms, and, having witnessed Josephu's resolve and determination, vows to aid him in his journey to gaining the upper Hamon hand on those pesky pillarmans. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. But we've gone back to square one, folks, as there are no major music references in this episode. Although, I would say that Wamu's Divine Sandstorm attack would have served as a nice reference to Darude's Sandstorm had it come out in the 80s, because that track was released in 2000, way after Battle Tendency was first written. Man, that's a throwback. I think I have seen a YouTube video where somebody you know, superimposes sands, Darude Sandstorm over that scene where Wamu starts to spin his fists. And I was wow. like, ah, I got it. I get what you're <laughs> doing there. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't call it a missed opportunity, but 
I guess now it's a memeable opportunity now that I've heard you mention that video. And speaking of memes, it's now time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appears in this episode. And I'll stop there because there's really no specific memes that are in this episode. Maybe oh, maybe we'll say the Darude Sandstorm one is the the quote-unquote meme for this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I would consider like Joseph when he's crawling towards the minecart i guess that's not a meme but it's just more of a funny moment it, it could be memeable maybe at some point it will become a meme and we can revisit this but mm. as of right now i don't think it's like a full-on meme so i didn't i didn't call it out but as always if we missed any memes from this episode please reach out and let us know so a hero's proof um i want to like take a second and talk about this title because i find it to be very interesting when i first read the title was title and then saw the episode i was like i don't get it like i know that the announcer at one point calls joseph like a hero and questions like is he really a hero if he's trying to run away or you know how will he stay a hero if he loses or whatever the, the announcer is saying but i think the, the title when i think about it more is perhaps talking about um what he needs to prove um, in order to continue to be the hero of this story. And I think in the short term, that's protecting Caesar and Speedwagon from the Pillar Men, specifically Wamu. And then I think in the long term, it's protecting the world from the Pillar Men, um, while at the same time, like, you know, trying not to die because he has two wedding rings of death around his, uh, his aorta and his windpipe. So I, I kind of get what they're saying with this title, because um, sometimes I, I really don't get the connection between a title and an episode. Um, but I think when I think about it more, it it does make sense. Like, I, I don't know if he really proved anything in this episode, maybe to Caesar, that he doesn't actually run away. Um, but I don't know what else, like, the proof would be, if not the proof that he will provide in the future. Yeah, so I know on Wikipedia, we've discussed this before, there are different translations of these episode, twi- or episode titles. <laughs> Twiddles. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, looking at Wikipedia right now, the alternate translation is the qualities of a hero. Um, and the way that I viewed it, I know there's like a, a quote from like my hero or all might says something about, you know, what the, like a hero does when they're backed up in a corner. Um, or like if you feel yourself hitting up against your limit, remember for what cause you clench your fists. And I think in this episode, we see like Joseph has exhausted all of his options in trying to um, defeat Wamu. And so the very last thing he does is, like, again, he's backed up in a corner and he doesn't really have a go-to plan, but what he does use is, like, he just bets on a gamble um, by trying to um, play up to Wamu's pride and challenging him to a duel, like, a month down the road. So I think... The significance of the title's meaning is that, you know, as as much as Joseph kind of runs out of options in this episode, he still exemplifies the qualities of a hero by not giving up and still finding a way to, again, kind of shoulder the burden on his own whilst protecting the people that he needs to protect around him. Whilst. I, know, I like that. <laughs> I don't know. People don't use that very often. Um yeah, I, I think that, I mean, he, he's the hero of the story for sure, but he hasn't been super heroic up until this point. The, okay, to, to be fair, he has. like He's done a lot of other things to protect his grandma and to protect his uncle's speed wagon. But um, I think this is that start of his hero's journey because 
he sees firsthand the true threat that he and the world are up against if he doesn't act and do something you know against the pillar men so he he can tell that he i mean he says up front in the conversation with wamu like i'm super underdeveloped and hamon i suck at this but somehow i was still able to scar your face so this is the 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 first step in his journey um as hero of battle tendency in the opening of this episode we do get to see one more time the whole concept of stepping on Wamu's shadow and pissing him the fuck off because, as you mentioned in your synopsis, Caesar steps on his shadow and pisses him the fuck off. And I forgot about this because it's a very quick moment, but I know in the last episode I was kind of questioning if we saw one, if we saw that happen again or if it was just another Iraqi forgotten moment. And we do see it happen again. Yeah, like immediate follow-up. Yeah. But I think it will still become an Iraqi forgot moment because I, I can't remember at this point if it does show up again later in part two. I mean, there, I know there's like a couple more significant episodes with Wamu, um, especially because I think he mentions here after the very short fight with Caesar that he tells Caesar to face him again once he's stronger. So that's just foreshadowing Caesar's ultimate fight with Wamu. So I'm trying to think if that fight before that you know that stone falls on caesar um <laughs> if if that was instigated at all by that whole don't step on my shadow thing it could be yeah i mean i find it interesting that wamu has no problem destroying everybody in the room as, as soon as they wake up but for some reason feels no need to destroy caesar joseph and speedwagon and at one point even says like you humans live such short lives you know go and enjoy yours while you can don't bother fighting us because you'll just lose and die I think he's still interested in them because, like, they've revealed that they have Hamon abilities. And I think we learn here that there is some lore behind the Pillar Man because they were able to put a stop to this quote-unquote Hamon tribe 2,000 years ago, right? Or so they thought. I guess. <laughs> um, and one other thing I wanted to note with the Pillar Man is we saw their faces shrouded in shadow in the previous episode, but now we finally see... Cars and ACDC's full faces revealed um, after this point. I think there was one shot where it had each of them um, in, in individual shots with the subtitle of their name flashing on the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And then you see, obviously, Wamu comes first, then you see Cars's full face, and then ACDC's full face. So, yeah, it's just interesting that, you know, the previous episode, it decided to shat or like, yeah, silhouette their faces. And I. Again, don't remember much of part two, so I thought this would kind of be like um, part three where we don't see Dio's full face until the like the very end of that part. But here, again, it's just immediate follow-up by seeing their faces right away. It's David Productions' attention to detail, not wanting to spoil that tiny little detail about these main antagonists before it's revealed in the actual show. So as always, props to David Production. In this fight between Caesar and Wamu, I found it interesting how, you know, when, when Wamu uses his, I don't know what, they, what they're called, his little head dangly things on his, his headband. His headdress. I guess. His headdress, yeah. And like, you know, whips his hair back and forth like, what's her face? Willow Smith. <laughs> like Willow like a... Smith. <laughs> and cuts all of the, the Hamon bubbles. And you can like see the air moving or something. And Speedwagon somehow immediately has all the answers and can not only explain but over explain exactly how Wamu's wind control creates these small vacuum vortexes to cut Caesar's face 
again, even though it's the first time he or anyone else are seeing it. And it's just because, you know, Best Waifu Speedwagon has an infinite amount of knowledge at his fingertips. He's big brain time. I mean, he's been around Hamon experts and masters for quite some time after Jonathan's passing, right? Because he was still in contact with uh, Straitso up until Straitso turned crazy. Yes, but Wamu doesn't use Hamon. He uses wind control. So that's like the difference. mm. And I know that that can be confusing um, because, I don't know, wind is a natural element that, you know, Hamon can travel through, I assume. But Wamu's using wind control and somehow Speedwagon knows all about it, even though I'm sure it's invisible to the naked eye and he's never met these people before. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either, but Speedwagon knows everything. Throughout this whole fight between Caesar and Wamu, I mean, things are pretty intense. Things are pretty serious, but it's not until Joseph opens his mouth and the mood just immediately changes. And then, you know, he like clears his throat like um 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 and then he goes over and looks into caesar's eye like he takes his fingers and like props his eyeball open and he's he's checking him out he's like you're fine you're not blind he just got your eyelid yeah the, joseph's fight is just pure comic relief compared to like the dramatics of you know caesar's initial fight um and it's clear like joseph still has some sort of grudge against caesar and clearly wants to showboat and like one up Caesar, even though <laughs> Caesar is just basically on the verge of death. But again, it it's just that's just Joseph's personality. Even in the most serious of situations, he still finds a way to be goofy about it. It is a very stark contrast. It, it plays nicely into everything that we saw in the previous episode, where you know Caesar keeps his his cool the whole time. He's very well put together, very you know intelligent person who's skilled in Hamon. And then Joseph just wanted to play pranks and mess around and everything, although he is, you know, pretty skilled himself. And, you know, kind of the underlying thing that we get from that whole uh, that whole interaction is that really at the end of the day, they are very similar. So while we don't get as much of that in this episode, we do get, you know, emphasis on the fact that they are very different because to your point, Caesar's fight is just like completely different with Wamu than when Wamu goes up against Joseph. And I do like that everyone thinks Joseph is just dicking around, but then it's Speedwagon who knows him well enough to see past the goofy facade and knows that he's serious. I think he even calls that out. Like Joseph may think he's being serious or he may be taking this seriously, but he's super undertrained. So I think that Joseph tends to overcompensate for his lack of skill by being overly silly um, or not being too serious to to hide those insecurities that he may have. And as we know, it's also a tactic to throw off his enemies and to get them to lower their guard, which in this case it works because Wamu lowers his guard and then he gets whacked in the face with the ball. So what would you call it when you know Joseph takes out his clackers and then he starts twirling them and then he hits himself on the head? <laughs> well, okay, I think that is him actually being goofy and actually mm. being a klutz. Um, but who knows? Maybe it was intentional for, for Wamu to think, like, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Which, I think part of what Joseph was doing was trying to intentionally get Wamu to, to not have a good gauge on his skill level. Mm-hmm. But maybe that part was a true accident. Well, the, yeah, Wamu, after Wamu sees that, he follows up with humanity, appears to have devolved. <laughs> yeah. It's, like a, it's a nice low blow. But then, obviously, Joseph catches him off guard later on. Um, and... 
that leads to the rest of the fight. Yeah, and I think with Wamu getting hit in the face um, and Wamu telling Joseph that he's the first person to ever scar his face. Like, and again, again, on the surface, this may appear to be a fluke that Joseph just got lucky, but this signals the larger dynamics between the Pillar Men and Joseph where he really is good enough to defeat them once he refines his skills. So as we know, as, as the um, part two moves forward, he does become a formidable foe for the Pillar Men he just needed to buy himself a little bit time to get a uh, little bit of time to get to that point. I do think that the whole wrist slitting thing was fucking nasty. Not as nasty as the whole aorta thing or like the big neck vein thing from mm-hmm. part one where Dio's got like I can't remember what he calls it. Some like the you know, carotid. Yeah, the carotid. He's like w- like wiggling and like like writhing Jonathan's carotid between his fingers. Like oh my god, that was. One of the, the one of the nastiest parts of, of JoJo, in my opinion. But this is pretty pretty cringy as well. And I'm just wondering, how did he get his bleeding to stop? I was about to ask that because, <laughs> well, first of all, the concept of time here is just fucked because it, yeah, it he says Rwama wants to take a minute um, in this whole battle, but obviously this takes up ten minutes of the this following ep- or the <laughs> second half of this episode. So clearly, it's not a minute. Um, because you have you know, the initial bleeding and then you have the, the, the sandstorm and then you have Joseph's whole thing where he's trying to climb to the mine cart and then he has that whole conversation with Wamu um, in the ruins. Like that's not, that does not take a minute. That's not a minute. And, <laughs> you know, you, you think that they would just brush it aside and like forget all about it. But then Wamu actually does say, oh, your time's up now. Mm-hmm. Like as if like six, only 60 seconds have passed. Since everything has transpired, and we're all like, "Nah, that's not how it works." Yeah, and also, wouldn't if Joseph Joseph didn't stop the bleeding at all? Right? No, not that we saw. Anyway. So he would have been dead at that point. Yeah, like, even if Wamu didn't physically kill him, he would have bled to death well before he even got a chance to receive his wedding rings of death. Mm-hmm. And like, even visually, you see his uh, wrist get slit. Um, and then the blood spews out. But after that point, you never see the blood spewing from his wrist. Like yeah. They, <laughs> they kind of just gloss over it in order to fill in all the action scenes. But... Rocky immediately forgot. Yes. <laughs> and I think another good um, another good example of time, the, the concept of time being kind of fucked in this episode, is the dynamite that Joseph lights. I mean, he mm-hmm. lights it before they, seemingly before they even get into that cart, he and Wamu. And the cart's like flying down the rails and then it falls down and then they still are having a good chunk of their conversation with the dynamite still lit and the fuse still decreasing on the ground before ACDC walks over and shoves it in his stomach and then it blows up in his belly. Yeah. (laughs) That must have like a long wick on it that we didn't even know. A real long wick. (laughs) Yeah. It just just reminds me of um, the first really fucked concept of time in the show, which is Jonathan and Dio fighting each other yeah. as they're falling down this tower filled with flames but apparently this tower must be a million miles long because they're falling for an eternity <laughs> but as always you know we, we just forgive it because hashtag iraqi forgot <laughs> um the part where joseph crawls away and <laughs> <So stupid. laughs> and and wamu you know kind of looks and then doesn't look i i'll say as a whole this entire um this entire latter half, the fight between Joseph and Wamu are, is, is great. Um, and there's one part in particular that I think is is the cream of the crop, and I'll get there in a second. But this part where he's crawling away, I'm like, that's that's pretty clever. That's pretty funny. That's the kind of shit that you would see in, like, 
I don't know, like a Tom and Jerry cartoon or something mm-hmm. from like our childhood. And to see it pop up in an anime in like the mid 2000s is it's pretty funny. I was not expecting that part. It kind of reminds me if, if anyone remembers that um, April Fool's episode from SpongeBob where SpongeBob pours a customer a drink at the Krusty Krab and the customer's about to take a drink. And then you hear a SpongeBob giggle. But oh, then yeah. The customer looks back at him and he has like a stoic face. That's what this part basically and is. And the customer panics thinking that he did something to his drink, <laughs> yeah. but it's really just the ice cubes. And again, it, it's it's a moment that only Joseph could pull off because as we know, he's that's just how goofy he is. Although like there's reason behind why he's trying to crawl towards the minecart. It's not for him to... I mean, he mentions like... He, he wants to pull off his only, like, his best move, which is to run away. But it's to, <laughs> to allow Caesar and um, Speedwagon to, to to escape and to draw Mamu's attention away from them. But thinking logically, why didn't Mamu notice how far Joseph was moving every time he looked back? Jojo logic. <laughs> Just Jojo logic. Maybe he has a stigmatism like I do and has, uh, you like know, a lack poor... Of depth perception. Yeah, yeah, a poor sense of, of depth. That's... I can relate to that. So I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's the reason. But he's an ultimate being, isn't he? He's supposed to be like, perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing is like, how does Joseph know when Wamu is glancing back? Um, <laughs> I mean, I Jojo think, logic. <laughs> I know like Wamu grunts, like he's like, mm? and then he looks back, and then you see Joseph just fall to the ground. <laughs> but yeah, as nonsensical as it is, it's just a it's a fantastic part, and it's a really important part for Caesar because Caesar thinks that he's running away. Um, but he hasn't learned enough about Joseph at this point um, and about Joseph's character to know that he'd never leave others, especially those he cares about, like Speedwagon. Do you really think for a second Joseph would leave, leave Speedwagon in danger? Mm-hmm. Um, so similar to when he ran away with Smokey when facing straight so at the cafe, we see Joseph drawing the enemy away from others so that they can escape. And he even says in his inner monologue as the rail cart's rolling away, he's like, okay, now you guys can run. Just go. Just go. Um, the only thing is, he technically left Caesar and Speedwagon with ACDC in cars. Well, I don't think they fully exited the building at this point, but I could be wrong. Well, I know like earlier, um, the both of them were like, we'll, go take care of this, Wamu, we'll, we'll meet you later. And then the shot after uh, Wamu throws Joseph out of the minecart, you see them atop uh, the Colosseum ruins. Okay, so maybe they had left by that point then. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes me feel better because I was like, well, hang on. There's still two more very powerful enemies (laughs) that the two of them have to face. Also, they don't really care about humans as they established earlier in in the episode because their main focus is on acquiring that redstone. So, I did find it interesting. So I don't know why the narrator pops in at the most random times, but I felt like this is a very random time for the narrator to pop in um, explaining joseph like crawling away i would have loved to see speedwagon be the one to comment on that because as i mentioned earlier earlier in this episode he comments saying like no he's not joking around with these clacker volleys like he actually is serious he's just underskilled i think this would have been another good opportunity for speedwagon to have his inner monologue or whatever and comment that like oh he may look like he's running away but he's actually you know is intentional he's drawing the enemy away from us so that we can escape but instead we get it from the narrator which is fine. Um, but I did find it interesting when the narrator said, uh, I think, let me look it up here. So I have it written down here. Only when Jojo loses the will to fight will he lose the status of hero. And that's like the the really the only really um, blatant mention of being a hero that we get in this episode, A Hero's Proof, is when the narrator chimes in. Because I think right before that, he's questioning, like, 
you know, is he no longer the hero? Is he running away? Blah, blah, blah. But here he, he just establishes this concept of Joseph, no matter how beat up he is, no matter how disadvantaged he is, he will still do whatever he can, whatever it takes to win the fight and to protect others. And therefore he will never lose the status of hero. Um, and it kind of just reminds me of Jonathan as well. No matter how down and out Jonathan was, he continued to do whatever it was he could to do the right thing and protect others. I would say you, again, you kind of see that in the final scene between him and Lamu as they're within the Colosseum ruins. Um, yeah, I, the way I look at it is kind of like with Joseph's dick slinging fight with Caesar in the previous episode um, when they're at the fountain. Uh, Joseph once again. He runs out of options um, regarding Hamon in this battle, but then he resorts to what is, like I said before, basically a gamble by egging Wamu on to a rematch instead of being killed. And I would say Joseph's street smarts again prevail once again uh, in this situation, just proving that, like you said, he will resort to whatever it takes in order to achieve his victory against his, his rivals. Yeah, and that's what makes a good hero is someone who's not only skilled, um, but you know, physically skilled, but someone who's also mentally skilled. And what's interesting here is that Joseph is not physically skilled yet. It's part of his character development, as we'll see, you know, in later parts of part two. But he is mentally skilled in that he can always he always has this ability to read his opponents so well that he can even use that line where he predicts their line and throws them off and wins the wins the fight, wins the match. And in this moment, he realizes that Wamu is the quote-unquote proud warrior type, and he uses that against him. I mean, he's he's on the verge of death, both from the wrist slitting and from Wamu just about to jam his finger into his neck, but still he's able to overcome an incredibly powerful enemy when he's this weak um, and this beat up. And I think that's, to me, that's very impressive. Like, that's the makings of a, of a great hero. And even Wamu acknowledges that Joseph is unlike any other human or I guess Hamon user because um, I think he comments to ACDC um, yeah, to ACDC that he's growing fond on uh, fond of Joseph and that's why he gave Joseph his due in listening to his proposal again on the condition that um, Joseph tried to train with the, the poison rings in his body yeah and this this is uh as I mentioned earlier or hinted to earlier, this is my like favorite part of this entire episode is this particular exchange between Joseph and Wamu because Wamu starts off impatient. He's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you right now. I'm, I'm not even going to listen to you or hear you out. I'm just going to get rid of you. And then he becomes overly curious about what Joseph has to say um, because Joseph is so good at conning him and kind of saying the right things to pique his interest. So I, I think what's equally hilarious here is Joseph's reactions to Wamu's responses and Wamu's reactions to Joseph's like statements. And I'm just like, the, the two of them are so different, probably more different than Caesar and Joseph are. So to see that dynamic unfold in this conversation was just super entertaining for me. But after Joseph receives his wedding rings of death and is beat to absolute shit, before he passes out, the last thing he thinks is, at least Speedwagon and Caesar are safe. And even after everything he went through with this battle and his life now having a 33-day time limit, he's satisfied knowing that he was able to protect others. And again, this is why I love Joseph. This is why he is my favorite JoJo. 
Um, now that we can talk about spoilers or anything in JoJo anime lore, I can openly comment that a lot of people feel that Jotaro is the best JoJo. Um, and while he's definitely one of the top JoJos for me, this character trait of Joseph's sets him apart from Jotaro and the other JoJos in my eyes. Um, Jonathan had this character trait for sure, but he didn't have Joseph's sense of humor. So Joseph is this perfect blend to me of someone with a great sense of humor and someone with this hero's resolve and someone who just cares so deeply about the people who are important to him, his family, his friends. And I'm like, to, it's just like the perfect package to me. Like that makes a great character for me because he's so incredibly well-rounded. See, I'm a Jotaro simp. So. I know you are. <laughs> um, I, I find a little bit offense to to your <laughs> to, to your assumptions, but um, I guess to that point, like the way I see it is each successive JoJo still carries the nobility and care for family that we saw first within Jonathan. It's that it's just that each has their own interpretation, and I know that Jotaro's is a lot more brash and offensive compared to Jonathan and Joseph. But again, I think of all of the JoJo's so far, like Joseph is the most humorous one, but also the most um, endearing. So that's particularly showcased here um, when he declares like at least his friends are safe. And again, <laughs> resorting back to his humor, I just love how he says like, guess I'm a polygamist now. You know, oh yeah, <laughs> he has like two "quote unquote" wedding wing, wedding <laughs> wedding wings, wedding wings, wedding rings embedded in his insides. So it's like his fate is literally sealed at this point. So two comments to that: one, yes, I agree with you that Jotaro is very much a family person, just like Joseph is. And don't get me wrong, Jojo, Jojo, Jotaro is one of my top three favorite Jojo. So I definitely love him. Um, but you're right, like he. He's not the best at expressing his his care for his family as we see through his interactions with his mom and mm -hmm. with Joseph later on. Um, but don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing on Jotaro by any means. And then two, it, I also noted that um, that whole polygamous comment from Joseph because as we learn in <laughs> part four, he becomes a polygamist to a certain degree. And I'll leave it at that because that's a whole other discussion. So I guess it's the, the pillar man's the pillar men's fault that they introduced him <laughs> to this idea of polygamy mm -hmm. and he was like maybe i'll give that a try <laughs> yeah. and actually like speaking of i guess these references to other jojos or other parts if you noticed joseph says yare yare when he's trying to figure out his next move against wamu every time mm -hmm. someone says yare yare in this show we just immediately think of jotaro and yeah <laughs> the second thing and this has appeared, I'm sure, in like previous episodes of this part, but I don't know if you, I even mentioned this, but if you notice, um, Joseph's gloves, he wears the exact same glove design as that of Jonathan's, where it's it's black with these kind of gold, um, I guess you could call them brass knuckles on them. Like knuckle, like little buttons on his knuckles almost, like some yeah. little caps or something. So I feel like it's, it's just a, a, an homage, again, to his... his ancestry or his lineage so yeah i never realized that mm -hmm. and that makes me think too the one time we see jotaro without his his coat on he's wearing a tank top just like joseph wears in part two and i think his belt too the the pattern or design is very similar to caesar's um, headband, headband. Yeah. yeah so it's nice to see like there are still these i guess fashion connections between <laughs> 
between the different Joe stars. And they are definitely a fashion forward <laughs> family. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to mention with this episode, again, chronologically is with the ending credits. Um, I think I commented in the last episode that a frantic or kind of ominous part of roundabout is used um, with the cliffhanger ending when uh, Caesar is about to face Wamu um, to kind of set the tone for that fight here. um, As the episode ends, it's Caesar embracing Joseph's fainting fainted body and how he vows to train with Joseph so that they both can strengthen their hormone abilities uh, roundabout starts with a very somber, I guess, interlude, but then it throws us back into the upbeat portion with this organ slash guitar solo. And so it's kind of synonymous again with that journey where, um, you know, Caesar and Joseph have finally, or like, I guess Caesar finally sees eye to eye with Joseph and sees how, again, noble and courageous he is reflecting that somber portion of the song. And then with them entering um, their new, I guess, Hamon training. Um, what's it called? The training arc. Yeah, the Hamon <laughs> training arc. Thank you. Um, that's reflected with, again, throwing us back into the the rhythm of Roundabout that we are familiar with. So it's like, again, signaling a new era or rebirth now that Joseph is on his way to, I guess, fully mastering Hamon. So I just love that. You know, we don't always hear the same section of Roundabout um, in both of these parts. Like, there's significant meaning to why they choose different parts of the song. And I'm not sure if, like, they use the entire portion or, like, the entire song um, throughout these ending credits for both parts. Um, But it's just a nice touch because, again, like, the song kind of reflects the story that's going on. in both Jonathan and uh, Joseph's journey. And there's a lot of song to pull from, right? Isn't roundabout like seven minutes? Yeah, it's a seven minute song. So it's it's a great (laughs) seven minute song. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to in the next episode for Jojo part two, we get the start of the Hamon training arc. And more importantly, in my eyes, we get the introduction of one of my absolute favorite characters in all of Jojo, Lisa Lisa. Hmm. She's awesome, and I can't wait to talk about her in the next episode, so stay tuned for that. And I guess that brings us to our final thoughts for episode episode, episode <laughs> 6 of Part 2, A Hero's Proof. Uh, so what did you think overall about this episode? Um, I think that I agree with you to a certain degree. I agree with you to a certain degree <laughs> that um, this is not a, a super fulfilling episode. It's not a standalone episode. It really kind of brings us from point A to point B. But I think it's important for the reasons I mentioned earlier that it establishes these new antagonists, the main antagonists of part two. It establishes Joseph's level of skill among everybody else in you know in the cast. And it establishes the timeline and one of the ultimate goals that Joseph has, which is to defeat ACDC and Wamu in order to not fucking die from the wedding rings of death. Mm-hmm. But what did uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, as I said in the beginning, I still I feel like part of this is quote unquote transitional. It just mostly serves to show how nerfed Hamon is against the abilities of the Pillarmen, but at the same time, it cements Joseph's. Um, 
uh, cements Joseph in this fight against the pillar man. And with this timeline of, you know, 33 days to, to fully train in Hamon and, and find a way to defeat these pillar men. Uh, again, it, it just shows, I guess it's symbolic of, you know, the title of this episode, like a hero's proof of how Joseph, despite being thrown into this corner by the end of the episode, still managed to pull punches and emerge heroic as we'll see at the end of this part but moving on to the next episode let's be honest we're just all waiting for that lisa lisa plot hell oh hell yeah i was gonna say <laughs> hell yeah but then i realized that plot okay yeah there's hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> both kinds of plots she's got a great plot mm-hmm and that wraps up episode 15 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's bizarre adventure. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everybody. To be continued.